Hello, I'm Dan. I'm Simon. And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article and we talk about what we find. Simon, what are we talking about this week? This week, Daniel, we're talking about Gert Palmkrantz. Incredible. I know. <laughs> that might that might be the most incredible name I've ever heard. So um, there's an interesting bit of continuity that's going on here, Dan, because I see. Uh, let me. I'll just read you the first sentence. It's a very. It's a stub. It's a very short article. This, but okay. I think we've got a fair bit to talk about, so it's not a problem. Sure. Um, Gert Palmkrantz, born the first of February, 1938, is one of the most distinguished sound engineers in Sweden. No way. Yeah, way. Good. God himself. Night. Amazing. Yeah, uh, I. I, I just one of those things, I guess. Um, I can't say I've ever heard of this guy, but uh, he is Swedish and follows on from our 100th episode spectacular that we recorded quite a while ago now, actually, because we recorded that one out of order. Um, mm. It was well over a month ago that we actually sat down to record it because obviously, um, you know, one of our guests had a very busy schedule. Eric from Alaska is all over the place and um, we just had to squeeze him in somewhere. Uh, but we made it work. And um, I, th- I think it was a pretty good episode. A, a lot of my friends um, actually listened to it and mm. uh, said they really enjoyed sort of just the whole vibe. So I'm hoping that people might have found the podcast from it, which would be nice. In which case, if you have found the podcast and you're new to this ridiculous thing that we do, then welcome to the readership. Uh, welcome. You will, if you would like, you can peruse our back catalogue of uh, <laughs> a fairly extensive list of silliness. Uh, but for now, <laughs> we've got Swedish sound engineers. Which is perfect, I think. We will make a pledge to try and make this as non-navel-gazy and in-jokey as possible. But one of the very things about the Wikicast is that it is very in-jokey. We're going to so. we're gonna try and not do that. However, the next segment after this will be my choral piece of the week. <laughs> uh, which, as in-jokey and niche goes, is pretty strong. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so anyway, uh, talking, we're talking about Swedish sound engineers, Dan. Do you we know are. any off the top of your head? <laughs> I know loads. Oh, uh, could you name one? No. <laughs> I need to, for, for sort of GDPR. Uh, oh, of I, course. I'm, afraid I, I'm, I'm unable to disclose those that level yes. of detail. However, I can confirm that I know loads. <laughs> they just go to a different school. Yeah. So uh, well, the one that, of course, that we all know of is Gert Palmkrantz, one of the most distinguished sound engineers in Sweden, mm. um, who, so hang on, he was born in 38, so he is... Uh, what 83 so pretty doing pretty well for himself hmm. um and uh, he commenced his career in the late 1950s at the gramophone studios of europa film oh. uh which now is that no i was thinking of the um the it might have been the company that distributed the seventh seal because that was also like scandy at that point but i don't know if that was swedish i think it might have been norwegian to be fair um uh, and in 1976 Palmkrantz recorded Sweden's best-selling jazz record of all time. Whoa. Do you remember this this record, Dan? Um I'm sure it I'm sure it had a name. It's, it's... its name, of course, was Jazz at the Pawn Shop. Ah, uh, of course. That's, That's the spelled one. P-A-W-N shop. Let me just uh let me just sort of rifle uh rifle through my uh record collection here. <laughs> <laughs> uh yes yes i've got the i've got the album art here now i mean what a record really really spectacular 
it, it has it like a, a, a wiki and i love how the first line of the wikipedia is jazz at the pawn shop is a multi-session recording made by gert palmkrantz at the jazz poop and stampen glorious <laughs> what <laughs> That's like somebody who tried to just made up words to try and make it, make it sound Swedish. Oh, the the jazz poop and stampin'. Jazz at the pawn shop vinyl. In fairness, in fairness, it's got a pretty cool album cover. Uh, describe it. It's it's got a sort of spooky, scary skeletons font and typography for jazz at the yeah. pawn shop, and then. What looks like a sort of um, very sort of se- uh, sepia-toned watercolor of two posters on the side of a sort of wooden uh, billboard, or maybe the side the side of a wooden shack. This looks like a screenshot from Red Dead Redemption Two with it re- spooky yeah. scary skeleton font it, over the top. It really does. I was trying to think of a better way of describing that topography, but I had to go with spooky scary skeletons. Yeah, I couldn't think of a better way, to be fair. That is exactly what I would have said. Yeah. <laughs> um, but apparently it's one of the best... Uh, according to audio files, it's one of the best jazz recordings of the 20th century. No so way. thanks, Gert. That's Gert Lush. I'm going to listen to that today. I, I, well, okay, I had a question that I wanted to follow up from immediately from that, which was like, I don't know this about you, but I'm going to guess, are you the kind of person who really goes in for like listening to stuff on vinyl and LPs? I do enjoy, I think, the sort of pomp and ceremony of putting on a record. Mm. Um, and if you've got a good record player, I think you really can hear hear quite a tremendous difference. In fact, I was talking about records with the esteemed Reverend Canon James Mustard, the Canon presenter ah. of Exeter Cathedral, uh, for we were, we were sitting with some other uh, musical folk in a very exciting new cocktail bar that's opened in Exeter called The Mermaid. You uh, do love your cocktails, don't you? I'm a bit of a... Co- yeah, I had an absolutely extraordinary dirty vodka martini, which was very, mm. very nice indeed. Anyway, we were talking about records, and uh, one of the reasons why, when, when, when it comes to a sort of audiophile perspective, with my sort of limited understanding, is if you take an ABBA record, for instance, mm. um, there would be several songs uh, or tracks on that LP, but the... Um, the amount of sort of quality and sp- and space and depth and detail given to to the songs across the LP would vary so much so that i think it was um it might be something like dancing queen or does your mother know that you're out or something like that right. where the the literal bandwidth on each record would vary so that actually the proportion of space on the physical disc, the literal bandwidth, um, mm. would would be greater for certain tracks to create a far, a, a more sort of fulsome, uh, fulsome sound. Um, I've just uh, I've realised that while we were having while we were having this conversation, um, another reader uh, of this podcast, uh, Professor Matt Can, mm. uh, was also around, so he'll be hearing me. Uh, t- talk about this little anecdote that James was was, uh, was um, spinning, and uh, well, I just hope I've done it justice. Matt will be able to confirm. 
but yes, I do. I do like records, effectively. There is a certain something to it. There's that's the imperfections and the crackle that you get. Like mm. I, I have really fond memories of, and it was basically the only record I can ever remember listening to as a kid. And at this point, I had no interest in the subject really at all. Um, but I just liked the experience. Was listening to an LP of Carols at Kings, which was, I assume, like a big famous one that they did in, I don't know, like the seventies or something. Mm. But. Um, you know, like it—it it was just that—that—that that, that comfy feel of the, you know, the hiss and the crackle was just, yeah, wonderful. If it was, if it was the seventies, it would have also been that glorious sort of through the seventies. It started disappearing really in the sort of mid, mid eighties, where mm. they actually started singing. They got away from King's vowels, so for instance, they would spell Magnificat with an e. Magnificat. Magnificat. Oh, me- oh wow, magnificent. My 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 soul doth magnify, not my soul doth magnify. Uh, and that and that's such My soul doth magnify the Lord. <laughs> exactly, exactly that. And it's so it's just oh, it's a br- it's a it's a very funny thing. Um but yes, they <laughs> would have started to get away from there. Okay. And then the other thing I wanted to sort of follow up on was, you know, saying we want to listen to this. I We have a, a great friend, Hugo Whitman, who is a big jazz aficionado, loves jazz and plays it himself. I, I personally don't feel like I'm very jazz literate. I don't know about you. I don't think I know enough about the subject. I'm not sure whether I know enough about the subject, but I certainly listen to a lot of jazz. Hmm. Um, what, what kind of stuff do you listen to? I, I struggle with the really, really abstract stuff right yeah but i will listen to i listen to a lot of sort of jazz funk fusion stuff similarly Mm -hmm. um more sort of classical um classical jazz with maybe just piano or perhaps a trio jazz trios um right a comedian i admire a great deal called dudley moore oh um, yeah he did had the famous combo with peter cook um and uh he in later years um, put together his own because he was a very accomplished uh, musician as well as a comedian. Um, he uh, he put together his own his own jazz trio and that's very good. Yeah, well, he had that famous um, never ending. Uh, well, I was going to say never ending Beethoven, but it's a never ending classical piano piece. Oh yeah, the you, just, um, you know you can never find the end. Colonel Bogey, wasn't it, or something? Yes, that's yes. it. I'll include a link in the show notes if people want to hear that because it is it's a it's it is very funny. Speaking of Dudley Moore, in fact, um, he was part of. Let me just find this. So our producer is looking at me through the glass. He's making the, the stretch for time, like it was stretching taffy kind of absolutely you know, motion. So, um, so there was oh, a very. Oh, you're back. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. There's a very famous comedy stage review mm-hmm. uh, called Beyond the Fringe. The Cambridge-based. Well. They were a mix of two of them were at Cambridge and two of them were at Oxford. Um, Classic. Uh, so it was the, the the most incredible quartet of of brilliant sort of comic minds. So it starred Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, who we've spoken about before, mm. who later who later went on to do their own sort of duo stuff. Um, Derek and Clive, uh, and Alan Bennett. Oh wow! And and Jonathan Miller, and it was incredibly. Uh, successful it debuted at the edinburgh festival and then went on to the west end and then to america um onto broadway uh, and it's sort of regarded as wikipedia describes it here as it is widely regarded as seminal to the satire boom 
and the rise of satirical comedy in 1960s Britain. So people like Fry and Laurie would have absolutely seen this show and it just it sort of changed everything. So, yeah, the idea of bringing together the best of reviews by the Cambridge Footlights and the Oxford Review, um, which both, you know, both of whom would perform at the festival, um, mm. and and these these four folk came together. And it, you can find, if you go onto, I'm sure, Spotify or Apple Music, um, you can find a recording of Beyond the Fringe, and it's well worth listening to because it's brilliantly funny and still very relevant today. Oh, cool. Mm. I, I, I feel like, I, I know we've spoken about this before, but I get into such a rut in terms of listening to new things, mm. not just new music, but like new podcasts, new shows. Um, and it's so easy on Spotify to just, you know, go through recently played or your likes and yes. just listen to that. Um, I listened to a new podcast called Adeptus Ridiculous the other day, and it was the first time I'd listened to something new, just totally new in, in a really long time. And it's, I, I feel like it's almost a habit that you've got to force yourself to get into, to, you know, put yourself out there and listen to these kinds of new things. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I guess that, that algorithms have actually helped in one sense and that it does, it's, it, you know, Spotify and YouTube and things like that are good at recommending things that you'll probably like, but at the same time, they do trap you into, perhaps this is just me. I don't know if you have this as well, but they trap me into just like a rut of listening to the same yeah. stuff over and over again. <clears throat> I think much like social, social media, the advent and rise considerable rise in the popularity of streaming services exacerbate the idea of a sort of digital echo chamber yeah definitely you know you can just you just can sort of very happily sort of blip along in your own little special world and not really embrace anything else whereas you know if i'm wandering through town and that's a very very good record shop mm. uh, in in exeter and it's very rarely open i think Every time, you know, let's say if I walk past the shop seven times over the course of a week or two weeks, it might be open once in that time. Oh, wow. Um, so when you can get in, it's great. But you can find some absolutely brilliant stuff there. Sadly, the my old housemate was the one who had the, the record player. Um, I'm trying to trying to get hold of a decent one at the moment. If anybody has any recommendations, email in, because I, I guarantee that some readers will have record players and have opinions on record players. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I would I would really appreciate the advice because I'm looking to uh, to make a purchase because I do, I do enjoy it. and I've got quite a few records of my own. I mean, uh... Uh, as in r- records that I own, not records that I have produced of me just talking <laughs> and then, and then, <laughs> and then s- setting it to vinyl. Hello, you're listening to me. I know you are. It's you listening to me. Hello. <laughs> This is making me want to, to produce a Wikicast on vinyl episode. That'd be, that'd be amazing. People, people have to apply. Can you imagine that? Yeah. That'd be extraordinary. They have to email in and we'll send them an, a, a custom pressed. And, uh, you know, we'll have like an old timey version of the theme music. Play like ragtime <laughs> uh, Wikicast theme. I'm sure Professor Can could help us with that. Um, absolutely. I'm sure he'd be uh, more than willing. Well, going back to Gert Palmkrantz, because of course this is the heart and soul of this podcast, yeah. um, I can tell you that uh, as well as producing Jazz at the Pawn Shop, since 1994, Palmkrantz has been pursuing new techniques in audio reproduction, including the hand-built microphones of Didrik de Geer. That's not a name that's hyperlinked. I have no idea who that is. <laughs> No clue. Um, And also, uh, the final sentence of the article, he has made recordings in locations as diverse as the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg and Carnegie Hall in New York. Wow. Two places, I would say, are pretty similar, really. Mm. They're both big cultural establishments in big Western cities. (laughs) Like, if it was, you know, the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg and 
on the Varanasi in India yeah. or you know in the outback of Australia but like wow on this guy of, gets around on top of Uluru yeah <laughs> in the Australian outback I, I, well I imagine a recording has been made of that I imagine it's just pretty windy have, yeah, have you been I to Uluru so. um no I don't think I have I've been to I, I seem to remember I've been to Alice Springs which is quite close right now this could actually this could be totally wrong let me check my geography here I think if you're wanting to go to Uluru, you basically have to go to... I think Alice Springs is sort of the closest... Hang on. This could be so laughably wrong. Uluru. You're the native Antipodean here, Dan. Oh, I'm not not far off, actually. Are you, though? Well, it's a very big place, you see. (laughs) Um, Yeah, when you say I'm not far off... (laughs) I'm trying to get an idea of... Hang on. Google Maps. Directions. Let's do directions. From Alice Springs, Northern Territory, Australia, to... Uluru. Okay, so if you were to drive from Uluru to Alice Springs, right, it would take you five hours. Okay, it's four. It's four hundred and sixty-eight kilometers away. So when you said it was pretty close, but in in Australian terms, because it's a bloody big place. Yes, it's pretty. I think I think Alice Springs is the largest sort of nearby settlement. Like if you, you there's, I don't think there's anywhere else you could really stay. Basically, right. Okay. Looking on a map, I think that's right. I, I can't see anywhere else that you'd be able to go. Okay. So you'd go to Alice Springs, spend like a couple of days there, and then on one of the days, do the journey out to Uluru. It's kind of like, it's base camp. Yeah. Basically, yeah. base camp for Uluru. Oh, um, there is a there's a ho- there's a little sort of hotel nearby called Longitude One Hundred and Thirty One, which is a five star hotel. Well, I, I know precisely where that is in one dimension. <laughs> yeah. That could be in Japan, for all I know. <laughs> it's a luxe tented resort with Ayers Rock views. Hang on, did you say last, uh, Longitude 131? Yeah, that's the name of right. the hotel. Let me see, Longitude 131. Oh, if I actually type that into... They've got good branding because that takes me to precisely that location. But it could also have been in... Right, it looks like it could just about be in Papua... No, Indonesia. It could be in... Yep, just about Japan. It might, I think, narrowly misses. It's actually quite difficult to tell. Narrowly misses the Koreas, and then it could be in Russia or China. So it could be in a couple of countries or Antarctica, obviously. Heck, but I mean that—that's just silly, Dan. That is—that is very silly. <laughs> okay, well, um, I—I'm I, glad that we've had Gert shoehorned into our lives. What an what an interesting and distinguished sound engineer you are, Gert. If you ever end up listening to this podcast. Apologies for the quality of our production, because it's probably not what you're used to, basically. Uh, but uh, we hope that you enjoyed our ramble about you. And I, I tell you what, you, you said you were going to give a, try and give this record a listen. I'll, I'll try and listen to Jazz at the Pawn Shop, because I do like Jazz. He's supposed to play saxophone. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Right? Right? The sounds, the, the, the tracks sound good. What, are you going by the name, the, the, the names of the tracks? Yeah. <laughs> okay, sure. If the the names look, I mean, this is like trying to pick a racehorse by the, the what the horse horse's excuse name me, is. Excuse me. How else would you pick a racehorse? <laughs> That's absolutely what you do in the races. You pick a silly named horse, and you might, if you want to read the the horse blurb, I think is the technical term, um, then you're obviously that that's your prerogative. But you just pick names that stand out. That's basically how it works. I can't say I've ever been to a horse race or bet on a horse ever. Have you not? I don't. I don't remember doing so. I, I'm pretty sure I haven't. I've been to one. I've been to some races at a race course 
just outside of Dublin, mm. which I think is what's that? Is it like it's Ireland? I want to say like Tiger Town or Lion Town or I'm not thinking of the zoo. I know that <laughs> Tiger Leopard's Town. Leopard's Town. Yeah. I've been to Leopardstown Racecourse. I think I've heard of this place. I think that we might have talked about this on the show. To be fair, we've had 100 episodes now. There's, if, if we'd mentioned anything, there's a very good chance we've mentioned it before. Yeah. It's a nice, it's a nice race course. We had a, we, we had a, we had a fun day. And then usually if there's a big race on, then we might put a, like the family might put a, a flutter. You know, we'll each, we'll each take sort of yeah, yeah. 10, 15 pounds and just put some money on and see what happens. I love that phrase. I'll we'll have a flutter on the races. Flutter on the races, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> That's something my granny used to say. I haven't thought about that in ages. Anyway, sorry. Speaking of very old constructs, Dan, what is your choral piece of the week? And this will be my piece of the week. Drum roll, please. Now, my choral piece of the week this week um, is topical and fitting uh, because i'm singing it today oh and this is very exciting because when i'm not either sort of depping at exeter cathedral or singing at buckfast abbey i'm um i'm still sort of going back and either singing or doing some conducting with the university of exeter chapel choir mm-hmm. um and we're very excited today to be premiering oh my goodness i know a, this yeah a new commission yeah. Which is very exciting. Timothy Noon, the director of music at Exeter Cathedral, has composed uh, and commissioned for, for us uh, the, the Latin canticles. So the canticles mm. of a, a, a service of Anglican Evensong are the Magn- Magnificat, Magnificat, and, uh, <laughs> and, the, Magnificat. And, the nunc, and the Nunc Dimittis. Um, they are set in Latin, as the name might imply. Yep. Um, and they've been commissioned for an Exeter alumnus, um, Stephen Harrow, who was a yeah. much, much loved supporter of the chapel choir. Um, Indeed. And it was very, very sad to hear that, um, that he, he about, hear about his passing. So at five o'clock today, um, I'm not going to tell you what day it is. I'm just going to say at five o'clock today, um, we will be premiering that piece in chapel and will also be live streamed. So we will likely be able to, in the show notes, provide a link to that live stream um, if folk would like to hear the uh, the Latin canticles composed for the University of Exeter Chapel Choir. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be really good. They're, they're an absolutely brilliant set of music. It's, you know, I... Um, Tim Tim is a, is an amazing sort of composer. He's very it's it, you know it's it's sort of divisi choir, very fast, very loud, mm. very clever. Um, I enjoy it very much. But I've got um, there's a solo that starts the nunk and ends the nunk for the tenor, and I'm uh, I'm doing that. So when I finish this podcast, I'm going to be spending at least an hour properly warming up because I've got a bit of a cold. I don't know if you can hear in my voice. I'm a little bit sort of. I'm a bit bummed. Oh, no, you're a consummate professional, Dan. I couldn't tell. Ah, oh, gosh. Well, that's a relief. Well, I'll need to just make sure that I can sort of shake the cobwebs away uh, and make sure. I, I think I've got, to, I've got to have some quite... I've got to have a piano. Um, piano? G, piano G, G sharp. Top G sharp. Oh, right. I, so, I thought you were talking about the instrument. And I was like, Dan, even by your standards... That's oh, no, no, that's no. absurd. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm going to go and play the piano. That would be... 
Well, maybe maybe I'll start saying <laughs> think... that though. I, no, no, I like don't... that. <laughs> I'm just going to start deliberately mispronouncing words. Yeah, why not? I, uh, darling, could you please pass the gorgonzola? <laughs> the gorgonzola, like or the chimera on the tripod. I think you'll find it's my uh, it's my prerogative if I want to start uh, <laughs> putting putting the wrong uh, emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> Oh, this is stop. We're stopping this right now. That's it. It's taken 101 episodes, but that's it. We're done now. That's it. I'm out. He's broken. <laughs> so yes, the Universe Effects Chapel Choir are premiering Tim Noon's Latin Canticles, um, uh, which is very exciting. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be really good. Very excited. And, and I think the, the other thing we should point out is if you want to hear this, tough, because no recordings exist. Yes, not yet. Basically. Uh, that you will be able yes. to listen to it at, at time of broadcast. Um but that's not until five o'clock today. Yeah. So, uh, well, hopefully in the future there'll be a recording because I'd like to hear them. And uh, yeah, a lovely, a lovely reason to have the music com- uh, commissioned and commissioned from a lovely person. So all round, lovely. Um, well, that actually leads us on to potentially a less lovely section of the podcast because we've got some critiquing to do, Dan. Oh yeah, of course. So there's two things that I want to critique because as we said at the start, it's been a long time since we've recorded the show and a a lot's happened, but I I want to condense my contribution at the very least to two films, which I know we have, or I think we have both seen. Um, And those are No Time to Die and Dune. Two films that I have very different opinions on. Mm. Um, Am I right in saying that you'd seen Dune? Not yet. I hopefully. Oh, you haven't. I hopefully will be seeing oh. it. I'm going to. I'm going up to Oxford for a few days. Well, like five days tomorrow morning, and there right. I may well be seeing it when I'm up there. But I've heard such brilliant things, and I'm oh. very excited to see it. Right. Well, I'll very briefly and spoiler-free discuss it um, for the for the show, uh, and I will say it, it is phenomenal. Um, I I will say that for context here, there's two relevant pieces of information, which is that I have read the book and found it okay i could see why it was so influential but it i had it had a lot of problems that i think are mostly to do with pacing and to be honest that's something that in a film adaptation you can actually fix because obviously you can manipulate sort of the the flow of time relative to the source material but the other relevant piece of information is that um i am a huge warhammer 40,000 fan and um, there was a whole middle section of the film where I just convinced myself I was watching a Warhammer movie. Yeah. And it was wonderful. Um, it, it was exactly, you know, how I would want to make a Warhammer film. And so it was just like wish fulfillment watching it in the cinema. Sure. Um, but, you know, it's Denis Villeneuve, uh, who I loved his previous work. I loved Sicario and I loved Arrival and I loved Blade Runner 2049. Um, so I knew I was in safe hands. Um, and I was just so happy that it actually, it was a very faithful adaptation of the book. Uh, captured the themes and the tone, I think, very, very well. Uh, didn't compromise much on the complexity while still, you know, it, it didn't hold your hand. It wasn't like a Marvel film that was constantly explaining the plot to you. Um, you really did have to pay attention. Uh, and it was it was just nice, it, much like Blade Runner twenty forty nine and and Arrival. It was nice to watch adult sci fi, not in the sense that there were there were bums and boobs, but in because that's obviously the definition of adult. Yes. Uh, but it but uh, in the sense of it 
assumed that you were an intelligent viewer and that you could piece stuff together. Sure. Which was just really refreshing. And and it was refreshing in terms of its visuals, how kind of daring it was and how abstract it was at a couple of points. Um uh, yeah, big, big, big love. I will say that there is there are legitimate criticisms of it in that it was too faithful an adaptation. Right. Because it was pretty much they missed a couple of subplots and obviously you know you're taking 200 pages of a book and turning it into a two-hour film like you can't do everything um but but it was pretty much exactly the book and a problem with that is that the book does have a kind of white savior overtones to it Mm. and in isolation the first june book is like kind of fascism's pretty good if you combine fascism with jihad that's pretty good um which for the record that is not the wikicast official position um but but that only sort of comes out in the wash in the context of the broader series where it turns out the protagonist is like not perfect um so yeah and, and you know i don't know how i would have fixed that as a director to be honest um, i see I don't, I don't think i could have done any better but yeah so so dune love it you should absolutely see it everybody and see it in a cinema for goodness sakes see it on a big the biggest screen you can um but the other thing that i went to see in the cinema with pixel girl recently was no time to die and you have seen that i have i have seen that and um, what what were your thoughts? Well, I mean, action films generally, I wouldn't say are my sort of go-to thing to watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't mind watching them. I think it can be a bit of sort of mindless fun. Um, and some can be quite sort of tense and exciting, but usually the ones that are tense and exciting have a bit more to them than just simply being sort of an action blockbuster, you know? Yes, yeah. Um, I went and saw... No Time to Die with some friends. And I think nearly all of the friends came out of the cinema going, wow, that was amazing. That was... Mm. That's wow. been the common reaction on social media, for sure. And my reaction was, I didn't think it was great. Yep, uh, I, I would agree. I, I just, I would say I'd probably give it maybe a five out of ten, maybe a six by virtue of it being Craig's last, Daniel Craig's last thing. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's sort of, a, I think it's a, well shot well sort of interesting direction yeah sure yeah i think you know there's lots of as you say there's lots of interest there which is good i think that's really good i think as far as from as far from a visual perspective it's a great film it's really it's really engaging it's really exciting i think from a sort of narrative point of view and from a from a structural point of view i think it's deeply flawed yeah Um, I think it's quite lowest common denominator and it just sort of, there were moments where I was thinking like, Oh God, we're still going. Cause it's a lot, it's a long film. Yes, it is actually. That wasn't something that was advertised. I'm sure Daniel Craig is pleased because he must've been paid an absolute metric. He's paid by the minute. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So like his screen time would have just been extraordinary, but it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was fine. I, I, I'm not going to, I certainly didn't come out the film thinking like, wow, that was one of the best bonds I've ever seen. I think Casino Royale is probably, yeah, I'd agree. Uh, the best Bond. I, I find it just slightly baffling that, that, that it has had this reaction on social media of this is better than Casino Royale. You know, it's this possi- might be the best Bond film ever. Um, I, I agree that it's an interesting direction. I thought there was an interesting, um, I don't know if you noticed this, interesting repeated use of lo- uh, vertical looking straight down bird's eye view shots. Mm. sort of establishing geography which is i I, I thought it was quite a cool kind of technique to use um and it's certainly different to a lot of other bond films but 
as you say, I think it's the structure that really just kind of cuts the legs out from under it. And I have a theory about why that is, actually. I think this film was previously better. Um, and I, my theory is that the it's it's not a spoiler to say that the um uh, the plot of the film revolves around a form of weapon yes uh and they basically introduce it as kind of like a bioweapon and then change their minds and it's nanobots and then they know, they don't go into any detail about how it works in terms of how you make it or you know whatever and um, I I think that this film had a much clearer structure in the past and then the pandemic happened because this was delayed quite a lot. Um, I, I think that it was, it was better in the past and then they re-edited it to uh, avoid references to a kind of bioweapon. Yeah. Because otherwise it's just baffling yeah. um, why they made the decisions they made. Uh, I yeah I I, I it's frustrating because I think I went in wanting to like it I wanted to, to to just go in and have an entertaining Bond film and it was entertaining nonsense for the yes. most part but just I, I don't know like I just I just felt like it didn't it was a sequence of events happening one after another which is obviously what a f- film is yes (laughs) like but do do you know what i mean like Mm. there was no rise and fall there was no kind of clear structure to the film it just was one thing after another yeah it's interesting so a few days after having watched no time to die Mm. i watched the green knight oh which i loved i absolutely loved not only because now did you see that in the in the cinema or at home no i watched it at home i wanted to go and see it in the cinema in fact, I wanted to go up to campus cinema to watch it, but I um there was a date clash. I think I must have been doing something. Oh no! Musical like Chagford or something. It's a bit of a shame, but I watched it. Um, I watched it at home, and it was still very good. Um, I've got a decent sized television, so uh, it's uh, it was a perfectly perfectly good viewing sort of experience. Um, but I was really excited to see it because it's the it's an it's the adaptation of a of I think like fourteenth century. Um, Gawain poem. and the Green Knight. Yeah, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which I studied in my first year, mm. which was really interesting. Um, Dev Patel is fantastic, obviously. Anything done by A24 always fills me with confidence because I know it's usually it's, you know, it's going to be going to be pretty good. Mm. But I just loved. There was just so much creativity in that film, mm. and so much, so many moments of sort of subverting typical sort of structure and convention. It's, are you saying it subverted your expectations? Um, I'm not sure whether it subverted my expectations because my expectations were good and I was really looking forward to it and I watched it and I really enjoyed it and it was good and I enjoyed it. But it it was de- it definitely subverted, subverted my sort of me thinking how they might do the adaptation. Right. So it's, it's, it's subverting your expectations, but not on a story basis, but on an a adaptation on a structural basis. Yeah, on a structural basis, on a, on a sort of cinema cinematographical basis um yeah it was just great i don't know if you've seen it no uh, likewise i i would like to um because i i've not read the poem but i actually listened to i remember this so clearly i don't know if you must everybody must have this but i I, going on a run once and i can so clearly remember the podcast i was listening to because i listened to an in our time episode Ah, uh about uh, the, the poem and um it just really 
sort of stuck in my brain. And ever since I've, you know, just been, you know, not I'm not saying I'm thinking about it every moment of every day, but it has just been rattling around in there. So when I saw that they were doing a film, I thought it would be a really, it'd be good to see. And when I saw the trailer, it's clearly very atmospheric. Um, so yeah, no, I'd like to, I haven't yet, but um, Dune was the first time I've been to the cinema in about 18 months. I actually bookended my cinema experience very nicely because the last film I saw pre pandemic was little women. Mm. And then the first film I saw when I came out of the pandemic was Dune. So I had like a really good, (laughs) you know, bookending. I didn't realize too, that by virtue of having Amazon prime, I just could watch the film for free. Oh, I didn't know it was on prime. Yeah. It's on Prime. Oh damn! I didn't. I, I didn't pay for it. Well, I mean that's that's what free is, which is remarkable because I was like, oh my god, yeah, it was it was really it was a wonderful sort of surprise. Yeah, I'll say. Oh wow, gosh, I might have to do that uh, at some point then because I, I've just got so much stuff to catch up on, Dan. I've got I've got so much to watch, um, and I have very little time to watch it in. <laughs> I feel like, um, yeah, like I I I am. Um, perpetually i feel like just just racing to try and keep up with all the things i socially should be watching like i I don't know have you seen squid game i keep being told to watch it Mm. i haven't yet i've i've since finished i've been watching you on netflix i've not on i've really 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 enjoyed Uh, oh i see yeah good well done well done (laughs) sorry oh Hang on, let me, just, uh, let, me just go and, let me just go and tighten this noose. One second. <laughs> Jesus. Um, Don't do it, Dan. You've got, so much, <laughs> you've got so many more episodes to live for. Uh, I've, been, I've been watching a Netflix television program called You. Yes. Right. Simon Clark. It's on Netflix. <laughs> it's very good. Um, yeah, I finished that and that's been, I've been really enjoying that. But I just haven't, I don't know, I've seen clips of Squid Game. I've heard things about it. I'm sure that I will watch it at some point and just be like, okay, yeah, that was... That was a thing. That was, that was right. Yeah, but I'm not that sort of bothered by it, to be honest. I assume you've heard of all the nonsense that's been going on with the Ox cast to do with it. Oh, yeah, with poor Lydia. So, so for, for people who may not be aware of this, the very brief version is uh, there's a lovely um, person in the Ox cast called Lydia who uh, streams one of my favourite streams uh, with them, which is Pokemon with Barry. And um, she's been on the internet for over 10 years now and mm. her username has always been squid game i think in a couple of places it was squid gaming but whatever yeah. um and then when the netflix show came out she started getting confused you know people tagging her thinking it was the show and you know fair enough pretty easy mistake to make um but um it, it got to the point where fans were harassing her saying that she was trying to impersonate the show um which which is just incorrect yeah and uh eventually they got her instagram account banned uh and it was eventually reinstated fortunately um but uh yeah she got her instagram banned and then she started losing out on work because uh brands were unwilling to work with her uh because you know they they would they fought, feared being confused you know with the show and and that they had some kind of affiliation with the netflix show um which is just it's just so silly really um she's had a really rough time of it because of it and, um, it, you know, it couldn't have happened to a lovelier person. Mm. It's, yeah, just, just a bit of a shit situation. Uh, and, it's, and I'm not going to lie, it slightly put me off watching the, uh, the, the series because I kind of associate it with this horrible thing that's happened. Um, but yeah, 
so um, I have I haven't watched it, and to be honest, I, I I would only watch it so that I don't get it spoiled. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, like I I I have no particular interest in it. Stuff like that, and um, what's it called? Battle Royale, just don't really appeal to be quite honest. And there's a lot of other stuff I'd rather watch. Yeah, definitely. But that is good grief, Dan. It's, it's because we haven't been we haven't talked on an episode like this for quite some time. I mean, the last time we saw each other, actually, the last time we spoke was um, at our friend Michael Graham's birthday party. Yeah, when he turned thirteen. Yeah, he turned thirteen. Great cake. Um, big boy <laughs> I never want to hear anything to do with Michael being described as a oh, big boy <laughs> that's horrible uh, but yes so, so you know we've just been catching up so apologies listeners if this has been even more rambly than normal but uh, it's just been nice for us to catch up you know it's just you know co- a coffee and a cake little little catch up <laughs> with a lady see lunch um, oh oh no you grown oh sandra have you oh. lost weight oh i can't believe it oh you look fantastic did you bring your did you did you bring your parrot along to the uh to the, <laughs> was that what that was yes yeah precisely <laughs> well it's also time dan that we caught up with our patrons in patreon corner off i'm not verifying the sodding thing again why do you insist it's me oh god it's me toddy oh christ i just realized did i not post the bloody i don't know if i actually posted the greta episode to our patreon really i'm not certain i did (laughs) hang on good effort I posted it everywhere else. I haven't posted since the 97th episode. Well done. Oh my god, I'm a terrible patron. Oh no. Oh, that's awful. I mean, the last one I think is a bit understandable because I was in the. I had a very busy day. I was shooting TV immediately afterwards. But like the previous two, I've got no excuse. Yeah. Oh dear, that's Good bad. Effort. Well done, everyone. Right, uh, over to you to kick off. So as Simon alluded to, it's that time again where we move to Patreon Corner, where we say an enormous thank you to those who support us on Patreon. Uh, Without Patreon and without your incredibly generous and greatly appreciated support, this podcast simply couldn't exist. We wouldn't be able to pay for our hosting, so when we record these episodes, they have somewhere to live and thrive. Um, We wouldn't be able to pay for our glorious editor. Um, Hey, Fergus. Hey, Fergus. Um, A current um, editor. As Dan would say normally. Well, look, we've been through this. I didn't say current <laughs> to, to sort of sound like threatening to Fergus. It was Our more current. It was more editor. to show the more to show the to, to show the show the Patreons that they are they are part of uh, a flourishing history of supporting editors. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just what we've got. Mm-hmm. Our we've got Adam, our editor emeritus. Um, we've, <laughs> Try we, saying we've that got, five times drunk. We've got, uh, we've got, we've got Fergus now, um, <laughs> and provided that the work stays good, he'll probably be around for a bit longer. <laughs> Fergus, I, I, you're doing such a great job. You are I honestly can't... doing such a good job, Fergus. It's incredible. As you well know, I speak. We, I've chat with Fergus on Facebook, so it's all, it's all kosher. It's all above board. <laughs> Anyway, after that very, very tidy, slick, professional link, 
Mm. I would like to say an enormous thank you to those who But what's support- a Patreon, Dan? What's a... <laughs> Thanks, man. That's, uh, that's, really, that's really helpful. Oh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just trying to keep the show moving along, Dan. I'd like to say an enormous thank you to those who support us at top Patreon.com forward slash the Wikicast is where you can support the show. <laughs> you can donate a dollar a month if you want, or it's up to five bucks a month if you want to be top cow, top dog. It's patreon.com forward slash the Wikicast. We don't say it enough. <laughs> I remember in our early episodes, like back back when we started this podcast, that there was a period of time where we were just we were just reading out the wrong email. Oh God, yes, we did. We're terrible at this yeah. job. Um, like really, really quite bad. People would be emailing in, and we'd have to then correct it by episode six, sort of saying, "Oh yeah, by the way, the the emails we were giving you won't 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 work. They won't go anywhere." <laughs> and then we'd get some emails back saying, "I tried emailing you, but um, the email bounced back, so I assumed it's wrong." I've tried this one, and let's see if this works. And fans would cre- would sort of correct our own mistakes. It was glorious. As we've said several times, our fans are the best part of this show. Far better than us presenting it. Like, oh, absolutely. We, we really should just turf it all over to them. Top Dogs, I'd like to say an enormous thank you to all of you who support on Top Dog tier for $5 a month. So a sincere thank you goes to Eric Bolliger, Jay Wright, Ben McMurtry, Maggie, Peter Reed, Codzo, Colin J. Brown, Alistair Fortune, Eve Sharples, Lexi at Front Desk, Hassi Hansen, Aaron Jorgensen, Henry VII, King of England and of France, Lord of Ireland, Naflarok, Adrian Chan, Aaron Carey Augustin, Ben Caples, Josh Shiaga, Sam Harvey, Elspeth, Michael Gustafsson, and Martin Narciso. An insincere thanks goes to me from me to the top cat. There was a fear, by the way, on the Discord that we'd actually run out of top cat spots. We actually put a limit because we just didn't want to spend ages and ages reading out names in the podcast. Um, but uh, I think we're <laughs> rapidly approaching that uh, that that limit. Um, but uh, yes, an insincere thanks to the wonderful people who support Top Cat Tier, and those are Abrupt Banana, Andy Hartley, Miko Sepola, Jerry Moore, Nathan Flaherty, Violet Hatch, Abu El Ella, the Physics Boy, Simon P, Jack Easton, Izzy CC, Nafi Eftekar, Christopher Betterton. Sorry, I'm just going to stop at Alice Springs on the base camp here of getting through these names. Yep. Um, Dame Valerie III, Layla Medina, Oliver Craigie, Will Jenis Humphreys, Renz Kirk, Oliver Burkhart, EZ, Cole Mansfield, Princess Andromeda, Choco Cat, Bendant, Isabel Ostrowski, Lewis Watson, Matt McGuire, and the one, the only, the legend himself, Dan Hanvey. You make the show possible. It's all your fault. Top lad. And we find ourselves in Correspondence Corner. Um, now, we said in a previous episode, several weeks ago now, so long ago, in fact, that we forgot until now that we said it, um, that we were going to be reading out a fan fiction that somebody wrote in. Somebody has created a Star Wars fan fiction about us, I believe, being two Padawans at the Jedi Temple. So exciting. So exciting. It's incredibly exciting, but we want to do it properly. And yeah. unfortunately, we have been recording for quite a while and we have got to rush off to do other things. So we're not going to do it this week, but in the next episode, yeah. we'll make a note in our calendar that we're going to be doing it. So don't worry, it is going to be happening then and we'll hopefully see if we can get some extra production put on for that, which should be really, really fun. So for episode 102 of the Wikicast, brace yourselves to hear the Hollow Pod. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be something. Yeah. 
that's about as much as we can say. <laughs> um, but we do have a couple of emails to read out this week. Um, so if people would like to email into the show, you're very welcome to at spongyelectric.gmail.com. We genuinely do love hearing from you. The, the, the stuff we get from you, uh, you lovely people, is by far my favorite part of the show. Absolutely. Um, so please do email in. And I have an email here from Anne. Subject line, saving my teeth. So this is a this is a follow-up from a previous email from Anne uh, several episodes ago now, where basically she went in to, if I remember rightly, get her wisdom teeth taken out. And um, because we've released a podcast that day, I'm getting up her email now. Um, she was she said that she the only reason she could go through with the thing was because she wasn't going to go under general anesthetic, but um, you know. Oh no, that was it. Yes, um, when we released a podcast episode, she uh, was going to be going in to get her wisdom teeth taken out, and then it turned out that actually no, it's going to be just fine. And she credited us with, um, you know, saving her teeth. Um, but I think she was put under sedation and sent us an email whilst very sedated. <laughs> um, that's right. Yeah, that's uh, what it was, wasn't it? Thanking us. And uh, there's a follow-up email here saying, "Dear Simon and Dan." I nearly choked when you read out my email in your latest episode about how you guys saved my life and teeth because I absolutely couldn't remember having written to you. <laughs> a few days ago, I even had a conversation with my sister because I told her, while I was under sedatives, that I planned on writing us and when she asked me if I did it, I said no. So thanks for reading it out and making me nearly laugh myself to death. Greetings, <laughs> Anne. <laughs> P.S. Dan, I recently moved to Dundee, and while I was walking along the Tay, I noticed there was a poem written on the ground. It's the poem by McGonagall about the Tay Bridge disaster. Ah, oh, Simon's favourite poem. <laughs> the best poem ever written. <laughs> the poem is poem. Beautiful railway bridge of the Silvery Tay. Alas, I am very sorry to say that 90 <laughs> lives have been taken away on the last Sabbath day of 1879, which will be remembered for a very long time. It's so bad. It's <laughs> I love it. And I've, um, I've said before that William McGonagall is the inspiration for Minerva McGonagall's name. Mm, yes, you did mention this. Yeah. Which is which is great fun. We've got an email here from Sam Harvey, uh, solicitor, PhD, student, um, which I always look forward to these emails because it's another sort of fellow law Law, uh, law person aficionado um, and the email is titled it is finally over slash question for Dr. Clark oh. and Sam goes on to say dear Moore CJ and Clark J Mr. Moore I do hope that your honorary title confirmed in the email I, I, I did enjoy it very much um, I apologise if you're already aware of the matters I'm about to dispose to herein. However, I write with some fantastic news. The saga of Bruz has concluded. I should also note that while in my first email I had to ask you to embargo parts of the email if, uh, it, if deemed of a high enough quality to be discussed in the podcast, I'm very happy for you to share the whole email with this readership, which is fun. Um, so for what, what, uh, what Sam is referring to here, uh, readers, is... A few, quite a few episodes ago now, I was talking about the very, very interesting court case going on in Australia. Um, regarding, oh, sorry, I just, I just started reading the email to myself rather than talk, rather than talking. <laughs> so, I was wondering I just, like if something was going on in your room, and I was like, no, 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 he just distracted himself. Yeah, with reading. Um, there's a very fascinating court case going through Australian courts at the moment concerning the YouTube personality 
uh, friendly Geordies and a court case uh, where um, sort of basically the deputy premier or the ex-deputy premier of Australia, John Barillaro, was suing friendly Geordies. Um, and it's raised massive issues about media and free speech and, and lots of other things. But Sam is going to be able to sort of explain this far, uh, far better. So, a few days ago, a settlement was reached in the matter of Bruz versus Shanks and Anor. Mr. Moore, I do need to correct you when you talked about the matter of Donoghue versus um, Donoghue v. Stevenson, 1932 AC562, a few episodes ago. Shame. The V between the party names does not uh, is not versus, as the Americans would have had you believe. Um, but is said and. I'm sure this was an honest mistake, but it did make me shudder when I heard you say it. Yeah, fair enough. I, well, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Uh, while we, being members of the legal profession who can uh, consider the proceedings laughable in our honest opinions as litigation solicitors are generally happy it's over and Australia can just be a laughing stop due to our Prime Minister, Scotty from marketing, having a spat um, <laughs> with the French. <laughs> Uh, there is a general relief uh, that what might have been a dangerous precedent has not been set. While the terms and conditions of the deed of settlement and release between the parties are confidential, it is publicly reported that Friendly Geordies has to pay $100,000 in costs to Braz, not too bad, all things considered. Two videos have to be edited to remove offensive, offensive comments. Friendly Geordies gave an undertaking not to publish claims about Braz's personal life, um, Braz being um, John Barillaro, the Deputy Premier. Uh, especially important considering he's no longer Deputy Premier of New South Wales um, and Friendly Geordies has to cease selling merchandise featuring uh, the Deputy Premier. As many, of your reader, as many of your readers may not be legal scholars like your good self, Mr Moore, I thought I might add my two cents as to why the settlement of this matter is very important. As you'd be aware, if the matter proceeded to trial and John Barillaro was successful, the scope of what is defamatory could have been expanded to include a new and very wide definition. This is of particular impact as Australia has uniform defamation laws across the states. Thus, if John Barillaro won, it would not only impact New South Wales, but it would also impact the good people in my home state of Queensland. Now, it would be open for the High Court to reverse judgment. Um, the problem is, you have better chance of winning uh, the lottery than getting before the High Court. Indeed, about 8-10% of all cases seeking special leave to appeal actually get a full hearing before the court. This is, of course, by design, as the poor justices only have a finite number of hours in the day and cannot be hearing every appeal in addition to the matters before them in the original jurisdiction of the court. Further, because the High Court has recently considered a defamation matter regarding the scope of publication, don't get me started on that matter, it's possible that the court would have been more resistant than usual to hear the matter. Generally, the court doesn't revisit a matter for some time after handing down judgment in the same area of law. Long story short, it's a wonderful outcome to see that common sense has prevailed. However, it's a sad day if you haven't got your bruz merchandise. And there's a section here, which is for your consideration, Simon. Oh, for mine, right, yes. Sam goes on to say, While I am writing to you, fine sirs, I did have a question, if I may, for the good Dr. Clark. Mm -hmm. I've recently been considering vlogging my journey as I undertake my PhD. This is something I've been considering for a time, as there's very limited information on YouTube about the and, and the internet generally about regarding PhDs in law from a student's perspective. Obviously, the inspirational cocaine also came from your videos, which did have a significant impact on my decision to go down the PhD route, as opposed to doing another LLM or MPhil. I do have some concerns in vlogging as I work full-time and do the PhD as a sort of side project. 
I'm also conscious that I don't want to give too much away as it's very early stages and I would hate for someone to come in and use my topic for their own research. Yeah. Nevertheless, do you have any advice for someone looking to start a vlog of their PhD journey? I'd also appreciate your thoughts of perhaps going down a different avenue, i.e. starting a blog with occasional videos or tweeting my journey. With the kindest of regards to you, fine sir, Sam Harvey, continuing to age but cannot think of some special way to convey one's age. Uh, I mean, very sensible to be asking these questions now, frankly, um, because you know it's you're right that there is a really powerful amount of good that you can do socially um with a project like this but you have to balance that against how it's going to impact your life the aspect of research being ruined um was something that i never really had to worry about and that's Mostly because, you know, I didn't publish during the PhD uh, because because of supervisor reasons. Um, and so I was never particularly concerned about that. Um, I'd actually think that in, in your case and in most people's cases, that will be more of a, a factor. Um, but I would actually caution that the thing you, you would probably want to consider more is how much of your life do you put into the content? Um, you know, where do you draw the line in terms of what you you know what what you consider to be personal and what you consider to be private um mm. and that's something that evolved whilst i was doing um the, the, my my vlogging project and i think it initially there was more that i did keep back and then there there was a point where i was more open and then i was like no, no, no this is a bit much and then started dialing it back um and and that's something that is between you and your friends. I mean, to be fair, I, I, as you'll probably recall, Dan, I didn't give the choir very much of a say in how, how much they, they were featured in the vlog. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's with, with you and your friends, your family, and also your partner, which is the big one for me. as the reason why Pixel Girl is pixelated, because she didn't want to be in the vlogs, which is absolutely fair enough. Mm. And... I'd say that that is probably the bigger concern than being nerd sniped, as it were. Um, in terms of practical things, the other thing to bear in mind is that there are lots of different ways to accomplish this. And as you as you've said, there you don't have to do it in video form. You could do it on Instagram or on Twitter. Um, I think those are far less intrusive. You uh, they're, they're far less information dense in a good sense and a bad sense. Good in the sense that you don't have to worry about other parts of your life bleeding through, but bad in the sense obviously that you are actually communicating less to your audience um which you know they they would like more um and perhaps for somebody who is doing it part time you're you're obviously very pushed for time as it is anyway um it may be better simply because in addition to those points vlogging is a very time consuming way of making content uh, as dan will attest i was Filming, when I would film a week, I would film during the day and then be editing well into the night, pretty much every night of the week, um, if it was a week that I was vlogging. So I think that's another thing that you will have to factor in, is that you, um, you, know, you have to practically make this stuff. And if you want to do it as a long-term project, it has to be a sustainable workload. So considering what you've said, I think that actually you might be better off doing it in another format in such as instagram or twitter unless you are dead set on making video content in which case great um but you know just just be aware that i think that's a very difficult way of going about it i don't know if you have anything to add to that dan no i'd, I'd agree i think I, ultimately it comes down to that initial point you raised about what you deem per personal and what you deem private and what you deem public 
and sort mm. of thinking through that dynamic. But but documenting it in one form or another, whether it's blogs or vlogs or Twitter or whatever, I think is a great. I think that's a great idea. Yes, and and uh, you're right in the. I mean, there are more PhD things out there now, obviously, including my vlogs. But um, in terms of law, I couldn't name a single person who's doing a PhD in law on YouTube. Mm. So there is a gap in the market, as it were. But yeah. That's that's a, it's a, I mean it's a tough one. It, it it it's a very personal project. I can only say from my experience the, 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 these points. Um and I think the time one is particularly the one that I think a lot of people don't understand when they go into starting youtubing and vlogging in particular mm. is just how time intensive it is. Yeah. Um cuz it's it, it's it's a lot. It's not it's not easy. <laughs> if it was easy everybody would be doing it. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh what have we learned today? Do I ask you that? I think I asked you that. No, you asked me that. <laughs> Slick. So, Simon, what have we learned today? Dan, I'm so glad you asked, because we learned about Gert Palmkrantz, a very distinguished sound engineer in Sweden who recorded Sweden's best-selling jazz record of all time, Jazz at the Pawn Shop. I adore that it still, to me, sounds like a Bristolian way of say, describing something as really excellent. <laughs> Gert Palmkrantz. Oh, that's Gert. That's Gert uh, Palmkrantz. My mate John, he we went round to his house um, last night, and he's from a little village called Chelwood, um, which I think I'm right in saying was a blessed village. I don't think they lost anyone in either of the world wars, which is very unusual. Oh. Um, and um, he was basically re- we 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 ended up talking about the whole Jackie Weaver incident oh, yeah. and parish council politics. And it turns out that in Chelwood Parish Council there is drama. And he was relaying all of this stuff, and it was so funny because he was slipping into more and more of a West Country accent as yeah. he went on. And Glorious. like it was like describing these two families and uh, both alike in dignity. Yeah, it was like to, you know, fair fair Chelwood here we lay our scene. <laughs> And um, he was it was like introducing the people like and right so the renovations are paid for by uh, Bob who made his money from the solar farm up at Marksby Plain and then his son Jim sells logs like yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. Like so I adore him and it was just getting more and more West Country as he went along but I love that I had this idea and people write in if you think this you'd like to see this I had this idea for a podcast of. Um, like just each episode is a different parish council's drama yeah and you know <laughs> you, you you know one episode could be about the jackie weaver stuff another one could be about chelwood something could be about bridge north from where pixel is from yeah and it's just like you could you could just go on and on with it i would i would love to do that podcast i think it'd be so fun to just get that involved in fun. petty drama yeah we also talked about films we talked about uh dune no time to die in green night yes of course we had my choral piece of the week, which is the Latin canticles composed by Timothy Noon for the University of Exeter, which premieres today. And a link to the live stream, all going well, will be available in the show notes of this episode. If Dan remembers to, send it to me. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed that happens. And um, we had some uh, fun emails. And next time, I'm going to put it in my diary, Dan. We're going to have some Star Wars fan fiction, which is going to be something i don't want to I, I hesitate to put an adjective on it but it's going to be something please ensure that your tray table is stowed in the upright position uh and just brace brace basically <laughs> and that's all for this week's episode don't forget oh, f- i said week like a oh, idiot. fergus cut it cut it and that's all for this episode 
Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice, join the Discord, and if you'd like to see our faces, check out our YouTube channel, Spongy and Electric. Parish Council drama, thoughts on No Time to Die, and other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again for another tumble down the wiki rabbit hole. And and we'll we'll see see you you next time. time. Oosh. Bosh. Big time. Sells logs, mind. <laughs> Sells logs. Cider. Everyone and their anyway. mother's packing around here. <laughs> Farmers. Farmers' mums. Farmers' mums. <laughs> You've got a moustache. I know. No. <laughs>